Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, we're talking to Mark Jews, Sustainable Farming Lead at Agri. Today, we're going to be asking some key questions about direct drilling. What are the benefits? What are the pitfalls? And what can we learn from others who are already adopting these techniques? Hi, Mark, and it's great to welcome you back to Tramlines. So, Mark, when we're talking about direct drilling, what what are the actual specific cultivation techniques that we're referring to? Well, when we're talking about direct drilling, then we think about moving as little soil as we possibly can in order to put seed in contact with the soil. When we're having conversations about direct drilling, they often stretch into strip tillage and minimum cultivations. Uh, but in its truest sense of the, of the term, then direct drilling is moving the least soil we can possibly get away with. And why is this this topic um, so top of mind? I mean, we were at Groundswell recently, and that's that's the talk of the town. That That is what everyone's talking about. Why is it so top of mind? The direct drilling or minimal soil disturbance is one of the key principles of regenerative agriculture. So that's one reason, and that is around about the uh, preservance of soil health. So the, the less we disturb those soil biological communities, then the less damage that we do to them. And the more that they can build and give us those soil health benefits that we're all so keen on. Um, there are other reasons, you know, some people are particularly keen on direct drilling as a means of reducing costs, so particularly diesel costs. We all know about the, about the energy price uh, inflation and the cost of diesel. Um, both economically and environmentally. Um, there's no doubt that direct drilling systems use less fuel than full cultivation systems. So those are the key reasons really around about preserving soil health and reducing carbon emissions, both through the diesel that we use in, in, uh, in working in the soil and also the oxidization of the organic matter in the soil that, that occurs when we move more soil. Okay, so in the immediate short term, we're talking about saving some costs here. What's the difference in terms of the number of passes that you're going to see in terms of a a traditional cultivation techniques compared to what you're talking with, you know, direct drilling? That is a really uh, wide spectrum of answers. So I go back to uh, one of the farms I remember when I first started this job that I worked on. I, I think I remember them saying that they've been 13 times over one field in order to get a seedbed. Um, and going back to that same farm now, I think we would go either once or twice. So that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of the breadth of it. Um, and the, once is once is what people are aiming aiming at. Uh, but then, as we said, that uh, kind of breadth of of situation means that some people are are doing other things to make the system work so you might go with the the plan of being a direct driller uh, but you might still need some uh some subsoiling or some soil loosening in order to allow your system to be successful particularly in the earlier years of the adoption of it so it may be that your soil isn't yet ready to be direct drilled with no other inputs, um, and you might require a little bit of um, a little bit of soil uh, loosening to to reduce some compaction, to allow a little bit of uh, water infiltration. Uh, there may be some pans to some soil pans to break through, 
Um, or, and it's also the case that soil uh, crop residue sometimes still needs a little bit of work. Before those uh, biological communities, the earthworms and all the other stuff that, that lives in the soil, is capable of breaking down the residue from the previous year's crop, then often we get some benefits from, from mixing a little bit of that, uh, that, soil res that crop residue with the soil in order to, to get better crop establishment. But that's, those are often stepping stones towards a full direct drilling system where the objective would be to only pass over the ground in order to put the seed there. Okay, so it, there's, there's a, a relative journey there in terms of that transition, isn't there, from moving from potentially many times um, travelling across that field to then moving towards, as you said, that goal of one pass. But that takes a bit of time. It, if I can just pick that apart a little bit, Mark, if we're looking at, you know, a farm, um, let's say it's a, it's a medium loam, and they're using a more traditional approach in terms of cultivation. How long in terms of seasons would it take to get to that goal of maybe that one pass? I think re realistically, five years isn't very long. Uh, and, and eight and ten years would be quite uh, realistic about, about the time over which you might hope to get to a point where you don't need to do all that additional stuff. And it, it depends uh, hugely on um, on what else you're doing. So, you know, how much organic matter there is in the soil to start with. What is your rotation? Um, we often find with direct drilling, then the easier crops are things like oilseed rape um, and cereal, first cereals. So first wheat after beans or oilseed rape. Those are often some of the easiest places to achieve successful direct drilling. And that's often about the crop residue. So also rape can tolerate a quite a trashy seedbed um, and there is much less crop residue to deal with after all rape or beans. But second, second cereals, so second weeks in particular, uh, are often the points at which people trip up with direct drilling. And it's, it's a lot about the crop residue. Mm -hmm. And also grass weeds, you know, grass weeds, uh, grass weed legacies. So a, 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 if, if you have a moderate, uh, population of blackgrass in a in a first wheat and then um, rely solely on direct drilling then unless the chemical control is very good then then that can build to to an unmanageable level in a in a in a second wheat crop sure so I just want to stick with some of the um if you like the benefits the upside of moving to this um th th these techniques um you, you mentioned costs and the diesel is, is there a big difference in terms of costs associated with, you know, wearing parts, earth moving parts that, you know, if you pass over that field several times, presumably, you know, your machinery costs itself are, are going to be much higher than a single or reduced number of passes? Yeah, certainly, um, you know, alongside diesel will be labour and, uh, and steel and all those other associated depreciation, all of those associated costs with uh, with moving soil. Um, and... and Looking at the other benefits, the benefits of uh, moisture retention, you know, the less we move the soil, then the less exposed that soil is to drying out in, in dry autumns and, and dry periods. But it is, it does come back to establishment. When we can, uh, when we can achieve successful establishment through direct drilling alongside uh, good grass weed control in particular, then the benefits do tend to accrue. Sure. Um, I know... Uh... 
that you you were very keen to talk about reducing traffic. What why why is that so important? So cultivations, the you know, the reason why many of us have cultivated soil for a very long time um, is because it alleviates some of the problems that we put there in the first place, and a lot of that compaction can occur during the harvesting and the straw recovery uh, process. So if we're if we've got combines running all over the fields, we've got uh, grain trailers, we've got balers, we've got uh, straw trailers, we've got loaders. And so that's why we're doing a lot of the cultivation that we do is to alleviate that compaction um, to provide a, a, a level seedbed and one which will allow water infiltration throughout the year. But if we can avoid that, that uh, traffic damage, if we can limit that traffic damage, and that's what a lot of people are trying to do with control traffic systems, uh, then we can limit the amount of soil that is damaged and would then need to be uh, have remedial cultivations applied to them. That is a you know that's a difficult thing to do to to match up all your all of your machinery so that you are only running on certain parts of the uh, parts of the field. And probably more so than that is the discipline that's required for all of the drivers who go into the field. Yeah, very good points. And uh, in terms of the longer term goals of uh, reducing carbon, uh, carbon emissions rather, um, and, and towards that net zero, which actually we've covered also in other uh, podcasts here on Tramlines, uh, what's the contribution? Uh, how does this help us with that goal? When the benefits do occur, then it's really about uh, sequestering more carbon and releasing less carbon from the organic matter in the soil um, because we're not moving it. But that all hinges and depends upon us not having a yield penalty through through uh, adopting a different system. So we can reduce the gross emissions uh, through the ways that we're talking about, you know, not moving the source, so we're not oxidizing the organic matter, we're using less diesel, so we're, we're emitting less there. But if you talk then about the, uh, the carbon dioxide equivalent per tonne of production, if we produce less tonnes per hectare, then we're at risk of actually increasing our uh, carbon footprint for, for each tonne of production. So the trick is, the key is to make sure that when we're making those overall reductions in emissions, we're not losing significant amounts of yield as well. Yeah, sure. So some of the pitfalls, uh, you sort of hinted at one or two of them. Uh, grass weeds was one. Um, and and the importance of crop residue management. So tell us a bit more about why, why is that so um, important? So yeah, grass weeds. Grass weeds. Uh, we've we've talked a lot about grass weeds as agronomists in the past, and and we will continue to do so. And uh, and that's about the seed burden. So if we replace, if we're popping a lot of seed down from a from a wheat population in a crop, then we've got to deal with all of that seed into the following crop. And if you can't use cultivations to um, to to culturally control some of those things, some of those weeds then we're going to have a bigger burden on the chemical uh, approach to, to weed control. So we, we kind of know where we're at, I think, with, with, uh, with grass weeds. Um, with crop residue management, a wheat crop with lots of straw, if you want then to grow a second wheat on the same field, then you've got to find a way of putting the seed in contact with the soil. And if there's a mat of chopped straw there, then we need then to, to cut through that somehow. To, to, and in some cases, particularly in the earlier years of transition, then I think that it is 
perfectly reasonable to go and do some shallow mixing of that uh, of that chop straw with the soil in order to get the seed to soil contact you need for good establishment. Where we do see problems, I think, is you know, hair pinning is, is what we'll all talk about. Then, particularly with disc drill systems, then a mat of chopped straw, the disc comes through, uh, cuts a, a groove in the, in the soil, which folds a wadge of chopped straw into that groove, then pops the seed in there next to it. And chopped straw is a really poor medium for growing wheat in. Soil is great, chopped straw is bad. Now, if our system means that we can't uh, can't cut through that that chopped straw, then we will limit the establishment and limit the performance of that crop. And that's that. Uh, so that comes back down to how do we manage that that crop residue? How good is the the chop on the combine? If we're baling the straw, can we uh, be sure that we're baling all of that swath of straw and that we're not leaving twenty or thirty percent of the fine chopped straw? Fine straw that falls through the swath and then leaves as a, a streak of uh, a small straw fragments behind the combine. All of those things are re really important if not relying on the crutch of cultivation to to uh, mitigate those problems. So, you know, we do have to get the detail right, is what I'm hearing. And what you're also talking about is is really understanding what happens on your farm with your particular systems, your way of managing the uh, the straw and stubble. The machinery that you've got, the setup, all of those things are really integral to giving that crop the best chance of a good establishment. That's what I'm hearing from you. Have I, have I got that right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and you know the, the answers will be different on different farms according to what machinery they have and the, and the rotation in particular. Um, but the principles are um, about establishment. You know, that's the that's the whole. You know, direct drilling is about establishing a crop, and if the resulting establishment isn't great, then the performance of that crop won't be great. And that's that's we need to we need to avoid putting the problems into the system that cultivating removes if we're not going to cultivate. Yeah, uh, very very good top tips and very clear um, in my mind there what you're saying to us. Um, okay, so kit costs money. Um, you know, I was at Groundswell and looking at some of the, the beautiful, shiny new kits. It looks incredible. Uh, I can see all the farmers and growers looking at that, uh, you know, um, and, and asking lots of questions at the demos. So, you know, this sounds like a, a big capital investment. Mark, is there a, an easy way through for farmers who are looking to try out these techniques maybe for the first time? I think the easiest situations are where you've got a, a large farm where there is a depreciated set of kit that's ready for renewal. And then you say, OK, we, we need to change this equipment anyway. This is an opportunity to, to, to invest in some high capacity, new, um, technologically marvellous equipment. And, and there's plenty of choice out there. There's some wonderful equipment and there's been some really uh, strong uh, kind of evolutions of, of, of technology uh, that are available now that weren't available five or 10 or 20 years ago. But that's not everybody's situation. And quite often people will want to dip their toe in the water um, and move into this gently. And there is a lot of equipment out there that can be put into use. There's a lot of secondhand equipment that, that can be used very successfully. Uh, and, and for quite a lot of farms, so we talked about the rotation position. And, um, maybe the 
place for direct drilling on a farm that hasn't done it before is in their first weeks. You know, if you've got some nice bean stubble that you, you're happy to direct drill into, then it may be that you could go and buy or use a, a contractor to establish a, a an area of your farm. You know, you talked a lot about the different techniques, but also about what's right for your individual farm and, and indeed parts of that farm and the individual crops. So, Mark, how does a farmer, where do they go to get that advice or to get that insight as to what's going to work well for them? I think it's important to remember that every mistake that has ever been made has been made by lots of different people. And we, what we want to do is try to reduce the number of those mistakes that get made um, by ourselves, by our, by our colleagues, by our peers. And if we can share that knowledge through your agronomist, through you visiting open days, through uh, talking to your neighbours, through Base UK, uh, those kind of uh, forums where, where we can uh, compare our experiences and be honest about what works and what doesn't, then we'll start to um, make it easier for those people who, who are less far down the, the transition path. And I think we just need to talk about it uh, really widely and, and also be really honest about the things that don't work and, and, and talk about the, the mistakes that we've made and what we have done and what we're going to try to do to mitigate for those mistakes. So essentially what you've just said is that we can learn from each other. I know. And that... And truthfully, that is that is the future for systems improvements, is uh, or for the for the sharing of systems improvements kind of knowledge and expertise is from farmer to farmer. You know, we can facilitate that as agronomists. We can you know we can share what I, what we've learnt on one agron one farm to to another one, and we can act as that kind of um, knowledge exchange conduit sort of thing. Uh, but it's the farmers who are, who are getting the experience and, and it doesn't, this sort of advancement, technological advancement doesn't come very much through R&D and trials. It comes through people, people's trial and error on farms, I think. OK, thank you, Mark. Uh, you know, I'm going, going to ask this, this final question. Uh, we do this at the end of every Tramlines podcast. It's been fascinating listening to all of your, uh, your great advice. But what is going to be your top tip to growers and farmers listening today? I'm going to re-emphasise the point about establishment, and we need we need the we need the plants in the square meters. You know, we need if if the if the crop's too thin and there are too few ears per square meter, they won't yield. So I think we have to be realistic about what the uh, what the establishment rate is likely to be, and compensate for that with either some mitigating activities like a bit of cultivation or with seed rate or a combination of the two and appreciate the amount of variability there might be within that field so um, get the establishment rate get a realistic idea of what your establishment rate is likely to be and then build that into your system Thank you, Mark, for a really interesting discussion about direct drilling. You may also find some of the other podcasts about soils and regen agriculture valuable here on Tramlines. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.